My message today is entitled, Know Your Door. Why is there so much violence in the world today? From the unjust war in Ukraine, to the people who are persecuted for their faith around the world, to people being gunned down in our own country way too often. Why is there so much violence? The murder and mass killings is not a new thing. It's more than just guns that are used in violence. We remember all too clearly, unfortunately, in 2001, I was in front of a class of kids when we witnessed that a few men using box cutters brought down four airplanes that killed thousands of people. In 1995, we recall homemade bombs were made out of nitrates and fertilizer and killed hundreds in Oklahoma City. Throughout the years, we understand that people have been poisoned with ricin and anthrax and other powdery substances, but they will always be able to find these materials. You can't just outlaw these things. People will eventually, unfortunately, they will eventually hack into technology, if they haven't already, hack into technology to alter transportation vehicles and affect flight patterns and disrupt automobiles and bring violence online in many ways, but computers will never be banned. And while many hope that background checks will improve and that mental illness will be better diagnosed and treated, all of this simply deals with the tipping point of violence and not its source. To get to the source, we need to go all the way back to the second generation in biblical history when Adam and Eve had their first two children, Cain and Abel. We're going to look at this study today in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 3 and 4. It says that in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell flat. It's understood that God had expectations of what type of offering would be accepted, and Cain did not follow it. That we understand that all the conversation didn't happen just in those first couple verses of the Bible, first couple chapters, but God had instructed man and woman how to live and how to offer sacrifices. And Cain did not, although his heart was right and he wanted to give a sacrifice, he didn't follow the prescribed way to sacrifice. But regardless of why God did not respect Cain's offering, the point to note is how sin began to quickly grow in Cain. I can relate somewhat to this, that many times as a teacher, thank God I'm retired now, but many times as a teacher, and, so, and I have an uh, exchange with a student, and they do something or say something or whatever they do. And I have them step out in the hall and so they could talk further. I'd say about 95% of the time, if they would just say, I'm sorry, you're, you're right, I apologize, I'd put them back in their seat. But you know, and maybe your kids have done the same thing. 
is they argue and, 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 and lie and try to justify, and it just escalates, and it's usually their escalation that sends them off to their get, getting a stronger you know, reprimand. I would tell you the same is, is, is true. What we can see here is, is Cain, Cain did something, and how, what, how he responded or escalated caused an even severe consequence. And see how we can learn from that when God brings a subtle correction and how we respond, how, how things can make a lot worse. So we're going to pick this up here, Genesis 4, 6. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? See, here God uses a teaching moment, asking Cain why he was angry. You see, God didn't love Cain any less. He just corrected him because he did not make a proper offering. Thus, God continued to correct Cain through this experience. How well do you allow God to correct you through experience and through your mistakes? Hopefully, you're more quick to repent. Hopefully, you're more quick to repent. Hopefully, you don't make excuses or justify. And, and as we are, respond better than God's grace is available for us. But when we're hurt or wounded or a practice pattern, we don't always respond well. Genesis 4, verse 7. God continues, if you do well, will you not be accepted? It's clear from God's words that he's in the process of extending grace to Cain. God didn't say, if you would have done well. No. He clearly says, if you do well. Keeping it in the present and the future tense and showing that this is one experience that Cain can learn from if he's willing to take instruction to heart. God is, no matter what we are going through or what, how we feel that we've been in, uh, recipient of injustice, it's all a test. You know that. And how we respond from our experiences allows us to access either, even more grace or more condemnation from ourselves. But then God goes on to give a strict warning of something that Cain is either unable or unwilling to see at the moment. Clearly, one of the ways that we learn is by following instructions. But also as an even better way to learn, we learn through experiences, through our own mistakes. Some of us, unfortunately, because we make a lot more mistakes, have a lot more experiences to learn from. For whatever reason, whether out of carelessness or ignorance, Cain did not make a proper offering. So God had to teach what was expected. How would Cain respond? How would he respond to this experience with God? Let me ask you. How would you respond? In fact, how do you respond when you are corrected? And how do you respond when you're corrected in front of others who have been accepted or even rewarded? Do you get mad? Do you feel jealous? Do you think I was deserving of that and they were not? Whether you say it or not, God's looking at her heart in the whole process. It's a difficult thing, no doubt. Only a humble heart that refuses to allow pride to rear its head is able to navigate this rejection. And only one who expects to make mistakes and is willing to learn by experience will be able to turn to God and allow him to bring correction and instruction through grace and truth. I don't know about you, 
what, 54 years on this in my life? I've not figured it out yet. I make mistakes all the time. Now, I don't, tr I don't go out and say, I'm going to make a bunch of mistakes today, but I know what's going to happen. And so the quicker I am to go to God and to understand the process, the quicker I can learn from it and move on. If we allowed our, allow our pride to speak louder than our humility, we end up closing the door to God's truth and his guidance. And instead, we open the door to temptation and sin. And so God gives this warning, Genesis 4, 7. And, you, and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Notice that God says that sin lies at the door when we do not do well. He doesn't say sin enters when we fall, but rather it lies in waiting. Why? Because sin often makes its way into a heart and mind or soul when there is rejection or an unmet expectation. Therefore, God warns Cain to keep that door closed. Okay, you messed up. But how you respond is going to depend whether you open that door to sin because it's right at the door or whether you keep it out. God says stay humble. Keep that door closed. Accept his grace and his instruction for the future. And even though God offers Cain a chance again to be accepted, Cain did not accept God's grace. Instead, he chose to hold on to his anger and hold on to the fact that things are unfair and someone else got blessed instead of him. And he, all he wanted to do was to do it rightly, and he got punished. That's the tapes that were playing in his head. In doing so, his anger opened the door for sin to come in and consume him. It wasn't a mistake. It was how he reacted to it that opened that door for sin to come in. You see, anger is a natural response when we feel rejection or our needs or desires have not been met. God knew Cain's heart and that his anger was growing after his rejection of his ill-prepared offering. Sin was lying and crouching at the door. That's why God intervened when he did to in inject some instruction and to give grace and encouragement for the future. It's the same dynamic that happens to all of us when we fall, when we fail, when we don't follow God's commands, or when we face rejection. We have a choice to either hold on to God's promise of encouragement and redemption, or we can choose to hold on to anger. We can't hold on to both. As we probably all know, it's a lot easier to hold on to anger because there's an immediate gratification of emotion. And we retain some sense of control. When I'm angry, I can feel like I'm in control of things. I can talk about it and complain about it rather than just wait to see what happens, which takes trust and hope and faith. On the flip side, when we, let, when we keep the door of our hearts closed and we're closed off to anger and we hold on to God's promises instead, we relinquish control. We place our faith and trust in God to do a work in us over time. God, I, don't, I think it's unfair, but I'm going to trust You. God, I'm hurting and I don't like it, but I'm going to trust You. 
God, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you. It's not easy to do that. It's a lot easier to react to anger because you feel a sense of control. It's a whole lot harder to be out of control. But that's the only way we can come and submit to Jesus is, is if we give up our lives and we say, I'm going to let you control the reins of my life. God warned Cain how to act. Sin is crouching at your door. There is often no immediate reward or vindication if we don't react. As our faith is in the process of growing while we trust God, which goes against every part of our flesh speaking for us. For our flesh is impatient and it wants to be fed immediately. That's why when we act, we feel some kind of sense. Or when we commiserate with someone else, well, yeah, yeah, you're right. Your life stinks. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. That was unfair. When we complain and gossip to others, we get something back that our flesh is craving. Instead of just saying, God, I don't understand. And I'm hurting. But I trust you. Thus God warned Cain, as he also warns all of us, about the predatory nature of sin wanting to overtake us, especially in our response. Sin was crouching at Cain's door because his pride was hurt. He felt rejected. And so God interjected truth for Cain to accept in order to stave off any sinful actions. God told Cain these words. You must rule over sin. You know what that tells you? It tells you that by the blood of Jesus, we have the power to rule over sin. He wouldn't tell us to do something we couldn't do. If we walk in the authority that God gives us, we would rule over sin. Even though we think sin is so strong, if God tells us to do something in His power, we have the power to rule over sin. But it's a choice that we have to make. It's not easy. We cannot do this in our own strength. But if we listen more to God than than to the temptation of sin, we keep sin on the other side of the door. We are able to do this when we truly trust God when we refuse to hold on to anger and vengeance and are willing to forfeit an immediate emotional gratification as God builds faith in us as we trust Him. This, in fact, is what God does in us through prayer and fasting as we learn to say no to our flesh that we may hold out for something that's greater and longer-lasting. However, when we fail to love God enough, we give in to sin. Why do I say that? Why do I equate failure to say no to sin as us not loving God enough? It's because we must know God's definition of love to receive all the love in the way that He intends us to receive it. And so we can both love Him and love others in the way He expects us to. The Bible, after all, tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. Let me explain this a little deeper. You're familiar with this passage. This passage I'm going to show us from the New King James Version. And before you quickly try to go through all of it, because you've heard this passage a thousand times, I want to point out some things to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love suffers long. And is kind. Some of the modern versions uses the word patient, but in the original versions, that word is suffers long. 
Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. That's God's definition of love. We've all heard and read this section of love many times. And while at first glance it appears to be a list of individual attributes of love, the very first part of this list, if you saw it in verse 4, is most strikingly different. Why is it different? If you look a little closer. For many years I've quoted this verse by saying, love is patient, love is kind. But just recently God spoke to me saying that patient and kind are not two separate qualities of love. They are connected. That's why there is an and between these two words. Love is patient and is kind. Love suffers long and is kind. In other words, while we are being patient, we must be kind. It's easy to be kind when things are going well, right? How many know it's a lot harder to be kind when you're having a bad day? And just say, just leave me alone, I'm having a bad day. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can suffer along and be kind. That's the God's expectation for us. We're asked to suffer long, which means things are not always going to go right for us. God calls us to suffer along and be kind in the process. While we are suffering long. Wow. That makes a big difference when you meditate on this nugget of truth. It's one thing to suffer, but it's a whole other thing to be kind to others while you're suffering. But if we love God enough, we will be able to suffer suffer long and be kind in the process. Why does God start out Why does he begin his definition of love this way? First of all, this is how he has continued to love us. God has suffered long with our continual disobedience of him as we sin. And still he remains kind to us, not judging us for our many mistakes. Grace defined is God being patient and kind when he has every right to exact judgment on our disobedience. When we truly understand that, we are able to extend godly love to others as well, meaning that we must be willing to suffer long without getting immediate emotional gratification in the process. And we must be kind to others through His grace and His strength. Only then can we offer a love offering to God that He accepts and rewards us with greater faith in the process. Yet when we give in to our flesh or suffer long, but do not remain kind to others in the process, then we allow temptation to turn into sin as we open that door. Remember, sin is lying outside the door. We open the door for sin to now enter our hearts. This is, in fact, what happened to Cain who chose not to suffer rejection and be kind, but rather chose immediate gratification of his feelings. Thus he gave no heed to God's word. And consequently, 
Nothing sank down into Cain's heart. So God spoke, but it didn't make it down here. He wanted immediate control and anger and gratification of, of his hurt. As a, re- a result, he opened the door to sin, which brought, amongst other things, the stench of comparison into the same arena with him. You see, it's one thing to be angry at yourself for missing the mark and failing God and allow it to motivate you to do better next time. But this can only happen if we keep the door closed while we suffer long and remain kind. If we become impatient and open that door, then we give in to temptation to compare what we have with others. This is a no-win situation. For we will always find someone who has it better than us, someone who has it easier than us, someone who seems to have been treated more fairly than us. And once we go here, we take the bait of temptation. We swallow the hook of sin. And the enemy begins to reel us in. Then anger turns to jealousy and rage and even murder. For sin that is not confessed and surrendered to God now becomes unquenchable, as was the case with Cain. Genesis 4, verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Cain murders Abel for a reason that comes right from the heart. Jealousy. Instead of being upset with God, or even upset with himself, Cain focuses his anger on one who received the respect that he thought he deserved, that he was entitled to. When we are unwilling to learn through experiences and God's instruction, when we refuse to suffer long and be kind by the strength of God, we open the door to sin to wreak havoc in our lives and affect everyone around us. Something simple like jealousy, left unchecked, left to grow and deepen and intensify, leads to acting out in violence. Jealousy leads to anger and sin is predatory, crouching at the door, looking to possess us as it did Cain. In other words, it's often the tipping point after resentment turns to rage. Genesis 4, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? You see, the deeper that sin gets entrenched in us, the more blind and the more arrogant we become, thinking that we can actually hide our sins from God. Yet God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He sees everything. Even before we do it, He knows what's going to happen because He sees it at the heart level. That's why he comes to us at all stages of destruction, as he did here with Cain. Cain had many chances to respond differently, many chances to learn from the destruction, many chances to take God's word and put it deep in his heart. He just refused. Before Cain sinned outwardly in the action of of murder, God was present and trying to correct him, trying to instruct him, trying to warn him. And then after Cain sinned, by murdering his own brother. Notice this. God didn't come accusing him. He gave opportunity for Cain to own up to his sin and confess and repent. 
Yet because Cain did not heed God's word, sin now ruled over his heart and mind. Even though God said, you need to rule over sin. Cain's arrogant response of, am I my brother's keeper? Show that his heart was devoid of love. For he failed to suffer long and remain kind, not only to Abel, but also to God. If you don't think that this could happen to you, then you underestimate the power of unchecked sin when you fail to suffer long and be kind. Genesis 4.10 And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Violence does not begin with standing armies or generational ethnic hatred or long-standing social inequalities. Violence is as close to us as our own hearts. Abel's blood cried out from the ground because our hearts are inherently evil due to our sin nature. Now listen, in the political climate that we're in today, I can't say that without being mocked, being called a bigot. But that's in the Bible. In the Bible, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Is there then no escape from our own wicked hearts? Are we hopelessly trapped with temptation when it comes upon us in times of rejection and woundedness and fear? Is our only choice to give in to sin that's crouching at our door? No. There is another door to open. You see, we have no strength to keep the door of sin and temptation closed and be able to suffer long and be kind unless we open a different door. That's why we need to know our door. What is that door? It's a door that many have heard of before, but not always in the proper context. You see, we've often heard this statement. Maybe you've seen pictures or paintings or sculptures. I have. We've seen this heard that Jesus stands at the door of an unbeliever's heart and He knocks, waiting for the lost soul to let Him come in so He can come into Him and eat with Him and change His life. But if you were to truly read that verse in its context, you realize it's not pertaining to lost souls at the time of conversion. Indeed, this promise goes out to believers who have become compromised in their faith without even realizing that complacency has replaced their desperate needing to seek God continually. It's in the book of Revelations. Revelation, when Jesus is knocking. Remember, though, that, that, that went out to the churches. Not to the world of unbelievers, but to the churches. Of course, many say that they still seek God daily, but few are on a daily mission to follow Jesus' command to share the gospel with others. And therefore, they have become lukewarm in their passion to obey God. The more that evangelism is not a priority for every Christian, the more that the church becomes lukewarm. The more we portray Jesus as an option instead of the only choice, the more the church becomes lukewarm. And the more we just say that sharing Jesus should be left up to the evangelists and the pastors and those who are called to evangelize, the more that we all become lukewarm. Do you know why violence has become so rampant in our society? Don't blame the politicians. Don't blame the social movements. 
It's because as a church we have not persistently and consistently shared the only hope to, man, the only hope to mankind's problem with sin. We have allowed political correctness and the fear of social rejection to keep us from advancing God's kingdom. Every day, millions of Christians pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But they do little, little to actually allow God's kingdom to come because they are afraid to share the gospel with others. And so evil flourishes and violence multiplies. The answer to violence will not come by enacting a new law or by electing a new politician. There's only one way that violence and hopelessness that spurs it can be overcome. That is by each person turning from their sin and giving their life to Jesus. That's why we're all here today. Because we have hope because of what Jesus has done for us. There's no better time to share Jesus than right now. People are hurting all over the world. They have the wrong set of truth. We have the truth that gives life, that covers us with grace, that forgives us no matter how broken or bad we are. God forgives us and says, come, enjoy eternity with me. We have that news and out there too many people do not have it. Jesus is the only answer as people are desperately searching. If you are not sharing this truth to those who are asking, then you risk becoming lukewarm. If any of us has failed to keep sharing Jesus with others as the most utmost priority, then we too have become complacent. We live as if we're all set, that we have nothing pressing to do. In other words, we've become lukewarm in our responsibility of advancing the kingdom until Jesus comes back again. Therefore, let us take this word to heart. Revelation 3.17. Let me share this to you in context. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, when you stop pressing into God and lose the desire to suffer long for Him, you become content and lukewarm. And you fail to realize your condition before a holy and righteous God. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. You see, when you come to God in your humility and ask Him to forgive you because you know you messed up, because you know you sinned, and you ask God to change you and to teach you and give you the strength to endure, He puts you through a refining fire, which means it's not easy because He's burning off the chaff or the undesirable parts of your life that get in the way of you pressing into God. That you may be rich, not in your own righteousness, but in His that you may be, may be covered by His blood, which atones for your sins, that you may be redeemed by His grace and have spiritual eyes to see what God is doing in you so that you can trust Him wherever He leads you. You see, we have the greatest promise ever given to us. We've all messed up. We will continue to mess up. But by the grace of God, God loves us enough to say, I love you. I want to forgive you. I want to cleanse you of your sins and your conscience, but you've got to give it to me. You have to acknowledge that you messed up. 
You have to acknowledge that you've hurt your brother or your sister. You have to say, I am wrong, because God is right. And as we humbly come to him, he cleanses us and heals us and takes that weight off our shoulders so that we can live our life for him. Now in context, Revelations 3, 19 and 20. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Did you see that? It didn't say as many as I love, you get a trophy and you're going to have no problems. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Why? Because he knows that you want to become more like him. And so he's going to do, continually do things to make you even more like him. He's going to continue to teach you because you've submitted to his instruction. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Scott and Ruth, come up. Here we see it again. Love is associated with a godly rebuke and chastening so that we can become more like him. It's not so we can justify and be upset because we're corrected. It's like God can take this away when we give it to him and become more, we can become more like him. He loves us enough to teach us through our mistakes. Therefore, we must be zealous to turn to him so that he can change us. That's what sanctification is. The process where he goes by the power of the Holy Spirit and makes us become more like him. It's not easy. We have to suffer long and be kind. In doing so, he gives us the strength to keep temptation at bay, to keep sin out of our lives, and to love others in the face of rejection. This is how Jesus made his mark on this world, by suffering long and perfectly loving others in the process. Only by giving a refined and unconditional love to others can we break the chain of evil that's all around us. Let us know the right door to open. That God would give us the strength to suffer long and be kind and truly see God's kingdom come. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on these words today, we understand where our hearts are at. We understand being convicted by your truth. But we also understand the grace that you've given us to love us and draw us near. Lord God, collectively, individually, we confess our sins to you. Where we have been off, we pray that you would continue to put us through that process of self-examination by your Spirit that we can become more like you. So, Lord God, as we listen to the words of the song coming up and just worship you for how wonderful you are, we pray there be a lasting change in our minds, in our hearts, and understand the responsibility that we have to be your light in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.